All righty. Welcome Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, y'all. All righty. Evidently, none of us really want to celebrate our moms. Um, that's fine. Let me tell you, I came across something this past week that says what every mom wants for Mother's Day. Y'all listen to this. To be able to eat a whole candy bar alone and drink a Coke without floaters. Um, number two, uh, a shower without a child peeking through the curtain with a hiya mom just as you put a razor to your ankle. Uh, Second to last one, a grocery store that doesn't have candy, gum, or cheap toys displayed at the checkout line. Mm-hmm. And the last one, to have a family meal without a discussion about bodily functions. Uh, I got to be honest with you, I have uh, three boys, and that happens all the time, and it's usually led by me. Um, let me tell you about a mistake that I made a couple of Mother's Days ago. Um, I've talked to my wife, her name is Kim. And she's not here right now. That's the reason I'm telling this story. Um, I asked her, hey, what do you want for Mother's Day? And she says, eh, don't get me nothing. Now, let me tell you guys, if, if your spouse ever tells you, nah, especially your wife, nah, you don't need to get me anything for Christmas or birthday or something like that, what she means is not don't get me anything. I learned that the hard way. Because... For that Mother's Day, I got her nothing. Um, and it was a huge mistake, huge mistake. Um, we got to the end of the day with tears in her eyes, and she said, you could have at least gotten me a card. And I'm like, oh, dang. Now, here's the thing about that. It's like we're speaking the same language, but we're really not, right? Sometimes I think ladies and men, we just speak different languages, and um, let me give you a couple examples. Um, when, uh, when women say, does this make me look fat? The answer is always no. Always. I'm just telling you, okay? Um, when she uh, says, um, it's your decision, what she really means is, you should know by now what I like. All right? And then lastly, when she says, we need to talk, no. You don't need to talk. You are getting ready to get a lecture. All right? I'm just telling you. It's like we speak different languages. Has anybody ever tried communicating to somebody and you weren't speaking the same language? Anyone? Sometimes it can be very frustrating. It reminds me of a comedian by the name of Henry Cho. You're getting ready to see this clip in just a sec. But Henry Cho, uh, he was born in Tennessee, uh, but he's full-blooded Korean. And uh, he decides to get married, and uh, he's, he's, he's going to meet his mother-in-law and father-in-law for the first time, and they live in Alabama. So y'all watch this clip. This is hilarious. <laughs> My name is Henry Cho. I am full-blooded Korean. I was born and raised here in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'll never forget the first time my mother-in-law met my dad. Me and my dad went down to Arab. We got the car at the house. My future mother walks out, says, hey to me. I swear, y'all, she looks at my dad and goes, hello, Mr. Cho, how are you? <laughs> my dad's like, what is she doing? Well, she thinks he's speaking Korean. <laughs> Bless her heart. 
<laughs> name is Henry Cho. All right, so I what's so, uh, the, the something about that is that the, the, when we don't communicate with somebody well, we have a tendency to yell. And let me tell you, as the church, many times we found ourselves at odds with culture and we don't communicate with culture very well and when we don't communicate in the same language as the world around us we have a tendency to just like henry cho mentioned we have a tendency to yell and to scream and we think we're really communicating but we're not and that's what we're going to be looking at today as we start week two of movement um today we're talking about um, uh, engaging culture. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing, and it's one of our core values here at One Church. We believe that the greatest, greatest potential for change happens when people can understand and apply the Bible. We are willing to do anything to make that happen. Now, before I hit the big idea, I want to kind of let you know, we're going to be looking at two passages of Scripture today. The first passage, Paul, the guy who's, who wrote the, what we're going to be looking at, Paul, he states this big idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 17, we're going to see him live out this big idea. That we will do anything short of sin to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That here at One Church, we will do anything just this short, short of sin to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, where we get that truth, where we get that big idea, is a guy by the name of Paul wrote about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'm going to tell you kind of up front before we dive into that passage. That's, that's just us. We are willing. You need to know that on a Sunday morning, we're going to push the envelope. And we're going to use anything and everything to help you connect the dots. To let everyone know that God isn't mad at them, but he's madly in love with them. And we're going to use the internet. We're going to use songs. We're even going to use country songs. Some of y'all, you're like, Megan, no, I'm not going to do Okay, we, we're going to use, uh, I'm telling you, we have done Christina Aguilera here. We've done, uh, our family pastor, you know, you, you heard him sing Carly Rae Jepsen. I'm just saying, got a little saucy that day. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. All right, we're, we're, we're just, we're going to continue to put, we're going to use rock, country music. We've used rap. We've used polka for Jesus. We're never going to use polka. So anyway, but let me tell you, we, we're going to use, we're going to use stories. We're going to use movies. We're going to use movie clips. We've, we've shown dumb and dumber parts of dumb and dumber to help people know that God wants to be their friend. I mean, we've, uh, we've, I've done 300. We've done the incredible Hulk, finding Nemo, uh, Wally. Um, uh, we're going to do a, a series this summer that we do every summer called at the movies. And what we're going to do is we're going to take people who know nothing about the Bible. We're going to take a popular movie and we're going to, again, we're going to look at the spiritual principles behind that by getting into God's word. And let me tell you, that is exactly what Paul was willing to do. It's what we're going to see he's going to do in Acts chapter 17. He was willing to do anything short of sin to lead people to Jesus. Let's look at what Paul says. First Corinthians chapter nine, and we're going to be starting at verse 19. He says, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Why would you do that, Paul? Well, to win as many as possible. Can we all say that? To win as many as possible. Okay, wait a minute, Paul. You're telling me you're just in this for the numbers? And Paul would say, yes, I am. 
Because my goal is to win as many as possible. Look at verse 20. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to what? Win Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law. And then he says in parentheses, though I myself am not under the law. Why? So as to win those under the law. I mean, Paul, wait a minute, stop. You're not even being honest. I mean, you're pretending. And Paul would say, yeah, I'm pretending. You know, if I need to tone this down a little bit and push this up in the mix, I am willing to do anything short of sin to bring people to Christ. Why would you do that? Because Paul would say, I believe that everyone will spend eternity somewhere. Verse 21. He says, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law. But wait, wait, wait. you're Jewish, Paul. I mean, you have the law. I, I, I know I have the law, but I'm not changing what I believe. I'm changing my approach, he says. So as to win those not having the law. I mean, hear me on this one. Paul's not abandoning his, his beliefs. He's not saying, I'm throwing out the scriptures. I'm throwing out the Bible. I'm not, he's not doing that. But what he is saying is I'm willing to change my approach. That's huge. Look at verse 22. To the weak, I became what? Weak. Why? To win the weak. Now look at this last part. I love this. I have become all things to all men so that by all means possible, I might save some. Whoa, 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 whoa. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what he's saying. Let me get this straight, Paul. You're willing to do just about anything? And he says, yep, I am. This isn't about Paul abandoning his beliefs. This is about Paul willing to change his approach to communicate God's love. That's huge. Okay, you mean to tell me, Paul, you're willing to risk group A thinking that you approve of something of group B when you really don't approve of it? I mean, in order to win group B, you're willing to do that? He says, absolutely. Okay, you're saying you would do something with group B and, and, and make them think that you approve of something that you really don't approve of in order to be able to win group A? He says, absolutely. I'm not come to make people happy. I came to win as many as possible. And you want to know the reason? Paul did just that. There is a reason why Paul won more than any other disciple in the Bible. You got the 12 disciples, right? It's like Paul had a meeting with these 12 guys. And he says, okay, huddle up. Here's what we're going to do. Here's a map. You 12, you win Jerusalem. And I'll take the rest of the earth. And Jesus was like, you know what? I like his attitude. I think we're going to let him write most of the New Testament. And that's exactly what happened. Because Paul's focus was willing to do all things... For all means necessary to win as many as possible. That's huge. That's huge. And what we're going to do, we're going to dig into this. That is his statement. That's his big idea. Let's see how this fleshes out in Acts chapter 17. I love this principle at work. Because Paul, we're going to see, he's going to engage people that's just like him. But then he's going to shift and he's going to engage people that just doesn't vote the way that they do. Don't have the same morals that he does. Don't have the same principles and convictions that he does. And he, he takes a totally different approach with them. Let's dig in. All right. 
Paul's first custom was to go to the people he had stuff in common with. Look at this. Acts 17, 1 and 2. Paul and Silas then traveled to Thessalonica. That's a city where there was a Jewish synagogue. And let me explain that. Just keep that up there if you would. A Jewish synagogue was like a, a Jewish church. And they believed the Hebrew scriptures and these ancient documents. And they knew all of the stories They knew about David and Goliath. They knew about Daniel and the lion's den. They knew about Gideon and Samson and all of these names out there that some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And I mean, they, he went to who he had in common with. And those were the Jews in the city called Judaism. As Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service and for three Sabbaths, that's three Saturdays in a row, he used what? The scriptures to reason with the people. He used the scriptures, the Bible, to point people towards Jesus. Why would he do that? Because the people in this Jewish synagogue, their culture was based upon the Bible. He started with what they had in common. And hear me, that's, that, that really is a principle of communication. To communicate, you have to start by what you have in common. In fact, the the word communication comes from the Latin word communis, and it means to have something in common. That's huge. Now, here's the thing. I love this about this. We're going to see that Paul is going to be going into all of these different cultures and is going to be connecting the dots that lead to God. Verse 10. When Paul and Silas arrived in Berea, where did they go? The Jewish synagogue, because that was their custom. All right. I mean, he is wanting to engage his culture, this Jewish culture, to make a difference for Jesus. Now, that's huge. If we are going to engage all culture today and make a difference for Jesus as a church, then we got to find common ground. Their common ground there was the Bible. Let me tell you, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, our common ground with our culture was the Bible. Because even though people didn't go to church, they knew the Bible. They knew the stories of the Bible. And we can open up the Bible and we could speak with authority because people knew the Bible. And they knew, hey, that, that's God's word. But let me tell you, today we live in a post-Christian society. What that means to you and I is that we can no longer assume that people know the stories in the Bible. You know how to spell assume. I ain't got to say it on the stage, right? I mean, here's the thing. We just can't assume that everybody knows the stories. And not only that, we can't assume that they even believe the Bible to be true. That's huge. We have to start our conversations way before we ever get to the Bible. And we have to talk from their culture to point them to Jesus. Why? Because most people, even though they say they believe in God, 95% of Americans say they believe in God, they view the Bible, this collection of documents, they don't view them as valid or authoritative. We do, but they don't. We can't start with the Bible. We have to start with culture. And that's exactly what Paul did in Acts chapter 17. Look at this. Acts chapter 17 Verse 16, we're going to see Paul, how he communicated with people who had, he had nothing in common with. They didn't know the stories. They didn't know the scriptures. Look at what he says. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. I mean, that's huge. Because, let me show you some pictures of, of Athens. Some of you have been there. Um, I've never been. One day I'm planning on going. This is the Parthenon. How many of y'all been to the Parthenon in Nashville? 
All right, cool. Awesome. Um, You see, in that culture, there was about 10,000 people living in the population of Athens. Um, Historians say that there was about 30,000 statues of gods in Athens. So you could find more gods than you could humans in Athens. In fact, some of you, you grew up in like middle school and you remember studying about Zeus, Apollo, Athena, Aphrodite, boom, chicka, wow, wow, right? Just saying, all right, turn on to Barry White, all right? Well, I mean, we, we know about these and we kind of grew up, you know, the Odyssey and Ulysses and Poseidon and all of this stuff. Those are the gods that they worshiped. I mean, those are the, those are the, they knew nothing about the Bible or nothing about that culture. But look at what he does. Verse 17, Paul says, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. Where does Paul go first? He went to those people he had something in common with. And he talked and he reasoned with them using the scriptures. But did he just stay there? The answer, no. Look at this. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. Paul goes into the marketplace and he engages in, engages in religious conversation. He makes the decision, I'm not just going to stay in my religious safe churches, hanging out with religious safe people. He says, I am going to go and engage culture. Let me say It would be so easy for Paul to just build a church and sit in his office and expect people to come to him. But he didn't do that. He went out to the irreligious. He started conversations with the unchurched. He befriended the de-churched. Paul was willing to become all things to all men in order to win as many as possible. He was willing to do anything and everything short of sin to lead people into a relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you, one of the hardest things, it would be easy for me just to sit in my office. In fact, about four years ago, I was teaching a sermon here at one church and I was telling our folks, hey, we need to build relationships with people outside the church. And as the words were coming out of my mouth, I realized that all my friends were people inside the church, that I was asking us to do something I wasn't doing. And I made a, an intentional decision then. I got, I got to do better. So one of the things that I have chosen to do is at least one day a week, I am not in our church offices. I'm still working. And let me tell you where I usually go to. I usually go to a pub to work. Now, before you send me nasty emails, all right, I don't drink. I don't have any you know, problem with drinking or believe. I don't drink because it tastes nasty. Okay? But I will go to a pub and it's loud. And I, I, praise God, my wife got me noise-canceling headphones so that I could go and I could work on sermons. And let me tell you what, I, I, many times I go up to the tap room at, 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 uh, at the Black Horse, all right? A lot of times I will go to Buffalo Wild Wings to B-dubs. In fact, I know everybody at Buffalo Wild Wings, and they know me. <laughs> uh, I know, I, every time I go in, I ask for Miss Anita. And Miss Anita, she has a wonderful family. She's a Christ follower. She sings at her church. I know that the manager, the main manager, his name is Perry, another fantastic guy. And one of the assistant managers is Donna. And every time I'm in there, Donna's always giving me free wings to take home to my boys. And she asks about my wife and my boys. You know, relationships happen not in this room. 
I mean, we just can't go and let's just all get together and sing Kumbaya. We can't do that. We have to go out into the marketplace exactly, exactly as Paul did. And totally, I remember one of the very first connections I made when I was up at the Black Horse, up at the tap room. And it was up there, had my computer, I was typing. And uh, this guy, one of the DJs up there, started playing Dave Crowder. And he's a, he's a Christian artist. So I went up and talked to him. And he wasn't going to church. You know, his name was Don. I have built a great relationship with Don and Jennifer. They're in one of our small groups now. I love Don and Jennifer, but here's the thing. Relationships won't happen if we just stay in our own little culture. And let's just only listen to Christian music and only watch Christian movies. And let's, you know, buy our testaments from Lifeway, testaments that you eat, little mints, right? I mean, God has not called us to create our own subculture. He's called us to go out into the world. That's huge. And that's exactly what Paul did. Y'all going to get me preaching, so i got to move on. All right, look what happens here. Hear me this. When you go out into the world, he will give you opportunities to talk about him. He will. Look at verse 18. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Let's talk about those two yahoos. The Epicureans believed that life was just one bit. It was all about pleasure. They were a people waiting for a party to happen, right? Um, This is your college days. All needs to be said, all right? The Stoics, these were the heady kind of geeky people. And they were all about, hey, give me a minute. I'm going to figure this out. Let's talk it and analyze it to death. So Paul meets with these two groups. In fact, he says this. He also had a debate. That word debate comes from the Greek word, Greek word sunabalo, which means to have a conversation with. That's huge because that's going to be important later. He's not just talking at people. He's having conversations with these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what is this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he picked up? Paul's message was so weird and was so odd that there was no common ground between what he was saying and what they had taught and believed. Look at this. Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign god. It's not Athena, it's not Apollos, it's not Hermes, it must be something else. Let me tell you this, he started with a conversation. I believe people will begin a relationship with Jesus Christ when we choose to create conversations and dialogues about faith. When we open ourselves up and ask and answer questions that they are asking, it gives them opportunities to kind of kick the tires of faith And that's exactly what Paul did. It's one of the reasons why my number is up here every Sunday. Because I just don't want to talk at you. I want to have a conversation with you. Um, He started a conversation. And let me tell you what a conversation... A conversation is different than talking. Conversation is the journey of talking. Conversations take a long time. Conversations cover a span of time. All conversations have beginnings, but many of them don't have endings. Conversations happen with people, not at people. Conversations are like journeys. There are twists and there's turns. There's highs and there's lows. There are agreements and there are disagreements. There are a lot, there's a lot of listening in a conversation. Let me tell you, conversations create connections. Conversations always lead to connections. And as Christians, I think many times we're really poor at conversations. We have a lot of conversion attempts. 
We have a lot of projects and we treat people as, as bringing our agenda to the table. We have a lot of confrontations. Some Christians specialize in condemnation. Some people just want to convict everyone and their job is not done unless everybody in the room feels really bad. But let me tell you, we are really good at those things, but we really need to get better. We need to become better at starting conversations because confrontations, convictions, they don't create connections. Conversations create connections. And Paul had a conversation with these Epicurean and Stoic guys. And guess what? That starts another conversation. Verse 19. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things and we want to know all about it. Isn't that cool? He had a conversation with these groups of people because he was willing to be where they were at. And they said, hey, we don't know what you're talking about, but why don't you come over here and talk about it with these guys. And they take him to the high council of the city. Let me show you a picture of it. This is Mars Hill. And what Mars Hill, it was kind of like Capitol Hill in our day. You think about Capitol Hill, that's where politics and decision-making happens in the United States, Capitol Hill. Here at Mars Hill, it happened there. And it was this hill inside the city that everybody would come and talk and reason, and they would talk about their beliefs, and they would work faith out in real life. That's exactly what happened here. When the church centers more on conversations about God and less about agendas and confrontations, people will want to listen. And that's exactly what happened here at Mars Hill. Now, this is what's so interesting. He's getting ready to give a sermon, a teaching. Where is he going to begin? He's going to talk about Jesus. You think he's going to begin in Genesis? Maybe, maybe he'll start maybe the book of Exodus. Or maybe he'll kind of dig into the Psalms and go verse by verse. <laughs> Let me tell you, Paul is getting ready to communicate God's love throughout creation all the way up to Jesus by never, ever mentioning the Bible. He never quotes one verse. You want to know why? Because they didn't know the Bible. And they didn't even believe the Bible to be true. They didn't know it. And, and, and he uses their own culture to help connect the dots between them, between them and God. Now, a quick question. Does Paul believe the Bible? Yes. Did, Paul wrote half the Bible in the New Testament, right? Did he believe that the Bible was a credible source? Yes. But Paul started with where the people, where they were at. And as, as us, if we're going to impact our culture, we're not going to stray from our beliefs in God's word. But we have to start where people are at. We do. Look at verse 22. Paul, here's what he says. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. Everywhere I look, there's religious icons, there's statues, there's temples, there's Athena, there's Zeus. You are very religious people. Verse 23, as I was walking along your many, I saw all of your many shrines. And notice this, he starts looking he observed their culture before he ever started talking into their culture. As, and one of your altars had this inscription on it. To the unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm getting ready to tell you about. Let me show you. This is a picture of an altar of the unknown God found in Athens. 
Isn't that cool? We can read something in the Bible, and then we look, and archaeology has dug it up. That is cool. That's the fishizzle. All right? He says this. He says, this altar to the unknown God, it represents a spiritual question. And that's the first thing that Paul did to engage his culture. He acknowledged their spiritual questions. The Greeks believed in all of these other gods, but the questions they were asking was this. Isn't there something more? Isn't there something more? The statue screamed, there must be more to this life. Paul started where they were at, and he answered their spiritual questions. Let me ask you this. What are some of the spiritual questions that people are asking today? Let me tell you. 60, 70 years ago, when the, um, back in the 60s, when uh, the whole um, nuclear race was happening in the Cold War, the, people, the question people were always asking was this, where are you going to spend eternity? The reason why they were asking that question is because they knew that they could die at any moment. And that's kind of the Christian pickup line that a lot of churches will ask. Where are you going to spend eternity? Let me ask you this. The reason why that's not... It's a, it's a valid question, but most people aren't asking that question anymore. Did you know that less than 10% of our culture really asks from week to week, where am I going to spend eternity? Let me tell you a better question they're asking. Here's a question. How can I find more meaning and purpose in my life? 90% of all Americans from week to week ask that question. You want to know why? They're trapped in a job that they have no hope. They're trapped in a marriage where they feel like there is no hope. And they're just trapped like a rat in a trap. And there, is there more to this? Let me tell you, our, our younger generation, let me tell you a question they're asking. How can I really make a difference that goes beyond me? I mean, that's the reason why, you know, Coney 2012 was started. Ending human trafficking, providing clean water to those in third world countries, stopping sexual slavery. Because they want to make a difference. They long to make a difference. And I mean, the great thing about that, that's a valid question that we have the answer to. I mean, how bigger difference could you and I make if, if God can enter into a life and transform that life and transform friendships and transform families and transform communities and transform counties that leads to transform states, which leads to a transformed country. It all starts right here. Man. We have the answer that people are asking, but we're still asking questions from 60 years ago that nobody's asking anymore. Let me tell you, Paul started with their spiritual questions. The second thing he did is that he studied their culture. He studied their culture. Look at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled. He cared for this city because of all the idols he what? Saw everywhere in the city. And he says, men of Athens... I noticed that you are, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. I was walking along and I saw your many shrines. Look at those words. He was deeply troubled. He saw. He noticed. He, he was walking along. He saw. Paul spent time studying their culture, reading their poets, listening to their music, observing their art. I think that if Paul were here today, he probably wouldn't be studying poetry. Because nobody really writes poetry anymore, unless you're a girly man, or unless it's Mother's Day. Um, you know what I think Paul would be doing? I think Paul would be hanging out at the movies. I really do. Because I believe Paul, he studied the Bible, but he also studied culture so that he could connect the dots and communicate Jesus 
to everybody, not just church people. I think Paul would have taken a movie like Finding Nemo and said, you see how Marlon, how he was willing to do it, go to any lengths to be able to find his son Nemo? Doesn't that sound like a lot like the prodigal son? How our Heavenly Father will do whatever means necessary to pursue you because he loves you so much. Man, you know what else he did? Lastly, he spoke about Jesus. Paul spoke about Jesus. He says this is verse 24. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and in human hands that can serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Paul is saying, you're the God that you're looking at, you know, here's the thing. God is bigger than your religion. God is bigger than Zeus. God is bigger than this temple that you made for Athena over here. God is bigger than any of this. He's bigger than your religious system, and he won't live in the box that you made for him. Verse 27. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. Think about that. Seek him, feel their way towards him. That is religion. Religion is us trying to find God. And you know what? We cannot find God unless he gives a relationship and he reaches down to us. You see, it isn't about us finding God. It's about God reaching down to us. And that's exactly what he did with his son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 28. For in him we live, move, and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. I love this. He takes a poet and he quotes a poet that has nothing to do about Jesus. In fact, Epimedes is who actually wrote this poem. And he's talking about Zeus. He leaves off Zeus's name and he's talking about Jesus. I love that. I'm telling you, we've done that in here. We've done a Garth Brooks song that, you know what? Garth Brooks probably had nothing to do thinking about Jesus about this. But you know what? We're going to do that and help people connect the dots because they probably were listening to that song as they were coming in. Or if you're not country, it probably wouldn't be that. My point is, Paul used secular media to prove a point. Verse 30. In the past, over, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, when you hear the word repent... If you're a church person, this is what you normally think of. You need to stop doing that and you need to change what you do. But the Greek word for repentance really doesn't have anything about changing your doing. It's about changing your thinking. And what Paul is saying is this. Now it's time to change the way you're thinking about God. Now's the time to change your thinking about how you approach God. Here's what's so interesting. If you change your thinking about how about who Jesus is, guess what that will eventually change? Your actions. But yet so many times in churches, we have a tendency to want to change actions before changing beliefs. Beliefs are always the bedrock to change our actions. All right, verse 31, last verse. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he appointed. He is appointed. In other words, there's accountability. And he proved to everyone who's this by raising him from the dead. He's talking about Jesus. Good news? Hey, you guys are searching after God. Bad news? Your God is too small. Good news is that God, the real God, is greater than all of these temples. And he wants to make himself known to you. How do we apply this? Okay, you can go, great, great verse. All right, we can get out of here before the Methodists get to a Charlie's. Let's talk about three ways that we can apply this 
to our lives before we bounce out of here. The first one is simply this. We need to create conversations and dialogues about people and faith. We got to create conversations. Why? Because conversations create connections. Don't try to convict somebody. That's not your job. That's God's job. Don't try to convert somebody. That's not your job. That's God's job. Don't treat them as a project. Conversations happen with people, not at people. So start a conversation. And do a lot of, huh, okay, all right. You listen. Second, look for common ground when starting conversations. Again, use whatever means necessary. Find a movie, find a song, find a whatever it is, but look for that common ground in culture to, that you can be able to connect the dots back to Jesus. All right? Just to let you know, we're going to be in a couple of, in a couple about a month, we're going to be doing this series at the movies. It would be a great time for you to bring somebody who doesn't go to church. And uh, the first movie we're going to be talking about is Avengers. And I'm going to wear my spandex Captain America suit. Dear Jesus, some of y'all threw up, didn't you? All right, move on. <laughs> lastly, lastly, I, I would just ask you, join with us, partner with us in doing anything and everything short of sin to reaching people for Jesus. You know, know this, that if you're a longtime Christian, man, we love to have you here. We, we really do. And we're brothers and sisters. But know this, there's going to be some times in this room, you're going to feel kind of uncomfortable. Because we're going to be always pushing the envelope. We, we don't want to abandon our beliefs, but know that we will always be changing our approach. Because even though our message never changes, our culture always changes. And I remember this, growing up in a godly, fantastic church here, and they would use felt board, you know, because felt board was the bomb back then, right? Nobody uses felt board today. You want to know why? Because our culture has changed. It really has. So, all right, let me answer some questions and uh, we'll get out of here. Um, first one is this. Um, Tommy London, I'm going to say this. I normally don't say people's names, but Tommy London says, please no spandex. So you can settle down. All right. Somebody asked this. People often ask, how do you know the Bible is 100% true if it was inspired by God but transcribed by man? They believe it contains errors and that really holds them back from believing God's message is 100% true. I, I, let me say this. I believe God's word is 100% true. But you know what? They don't have to believe God's word is 100% true. What is most important is what do they believe about Jesus? You know, um, I was listening to a, a guy talk about this this morning as I was coming in um, to set up. Um, you know what? Maybe they don't believe in a literal Adam and Eve. I do, but maybe they don't. Okay. Let's get them, let's don't worry about that. Let's get them focusing on Jesus. And once they start getting their relationship with Jesus right and believing in Jesus, you know what? I believe in a literal Adam and Eve because Jesus believed it. And he, he's the only person I know who's risen from the dead. Right? So I'm just going to go with the dude who's risen from the dead. Right? I'm just, 
I'm kind of a simple man like that, all right? All right, let's go to the next question. Um, I completely agree with what you are uh, saying. However, I think that Christ followers should make sure their relationship with God is strong enough to be around the world, non-believers, and not get dragged down into sin while trying to be an example to them. Satan is powerful and will use things to bring believers down. You are exactly right. In fact, I even failed to say this. Most of the time, like if I go out on the evenings, uh, I I got the the dude by the soundboard. His name is Luther. Luther and I will go out. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, we'll go to the tap room and and we'll hang out. And there'll be a bunch of Christians up there. And we'll just be chatting and talking and interacting. But you're right. If you struggle with alcoholism, you probably don't need to be in a bar. Right? I don't struggle with alcoholism. I struggle with Twinkies. All right, moving on. Um, all right, um, you made a great point one Sunday that we should take, all take to heart. Could you imagine what the disciples would have done if they had modern-day social media, technology, communication, etc., to spread God's word? Wow, and you're exactly right. I think they would have used every means necessary to be able to talk about Jesus. Here's what's so cool, ladies, gentlemen. We have... So much technology around us that we can make that world a whole lot smaller. It is, isn't it? I mean, and we can talk about Jesus. So instead of going on, and you may want to play Farmville on Facebook. God bless you. Please do not invite me. But instead of going, let's do less diatribes on Facebook. And let's talk, point more people towards Jesus. I mean, let's let's stop Using the comparison on Facebook, because we have a tendency to do that. Oh, she, they're in Hawaii again, right? Let's stop that. Let's just use every means necessary to talk about Jesus. And let me tell you this, and, and I'm, I, this is my last statement, and I will leave. If you're not comfortable talking about Jesus, bring them here, and we will talk about Jesus together. That's the whole reason why we do this. It's the whole reason why we have the lights and the haze, which I'm about to choke on. It's the reason we have all of this stuff. Because we believe that people will spend eternity somewhere. And we want people, when they show up here, that maybe the reason why they bounced out on God in church a long time ago was because of a whatever it was. And when they come in here, this is our, the most reaction we get is, wow, this is a church? The answer is, yeah. We love Jesus. And we would invite you to love him with us. And we're going to love you even if you don't. We're going to befriend you because that's what God calls us to do. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much, Lord, for the men and women in here. I thank you especially, Lord, for the women and for those moms and those who, have, uh, who are mothers. And I just pray, God, that as today as we go out and as we love on people and I just, I just love on them, I just pray, God, that you would just give us grace. Thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to be able to engage with regular people. And, Lord, I pray that, Lord, if we're going out to our restaurant today, Lord, that we would look for common ground. Lord, that we would show people the love of Jesus and that we would talk about God. Because God, your word says this, that if we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart, that we could be saved. We can have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.